What is the most used man-made material on earth? You guessed right, it's concrete. Look around, it's everywhere. Sidewalks, driveways, foundations, floor you stand on, and even entire buildings are made out of concrete. So why don't we discuss it more? In each episode of Concrete Logic, we'll explore one concrete-related topic with the help from industry professionals that are shaping the future of the trade. We'll talk with suppliers, contractors, architects, engineers, specialists, and even some proponents of competing materials about their views of concrete and their vision of its future. And welcome to another episode of the Concrete Logic Podcast. And today I have Matt McCombs with me with Intelligent Concrete. Matt, could you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Thanks for having me, Seth. So uh, I was kind of born and raised in the concrete industry. You know, my dad was a manager of a precast ready mix concrete block operation when I was born. So my older brothers and I all got a chance to work there or at various businesses throughout his career. Um, I was a lot younger than my other siblings. So probably, I don't know, about the time I was in fifth or sixth grades when I started really getting exposed to finishing concrete or mixing it or, or what have you. As soon as I was old enough, I was working at a precast plant um, as a form carpenter. And then uh, it all just kind of went from there. And I've, I've been since 91 working in this business, either full-time or part-time for several years while I was in school. So I can finally join that group of people that says I've been doing this for 30 years. <laughs> and, so, uh, so, I've yeah. been fortunate along the Go ahead. Uh, uh, I was I, just going to say cause that the reason why I was just going to say uh, the reason why uh, that's funny is because we all here in the con- uh, concrete industry is I've been doing this for 30 years and this is the way we do it. Right. That's why. Right. Right. <laughs> that's why I was laughing. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. That's good. I, I hear I'm so sick. It's like, yeah, you've been doing it the wrong way for 30 years. So let me let me help you out with that a little bit. But um, now along the way, man, I've been fortunate enough to work for some really uh I've been blessed, I think, to work for, you know, some good organizations or even if it wasn't a good organization, in my opinion, it had a a strong group of mentors within there that I learned a lot from. So I've been privy to some information that not a lot of people are going to get. I mean, when I was with Lafarge, we had the Lafarge Center for Research and there were some extremely intelligent, talented people that worked there that were 100 percent devoted to learning like you know right down to the finite nano level how it works why it works why it fails and then they teach us so it's been a good experience and so now i'm working for john uh, and whitney at intelligent concrete and uh so different it's a different approach a different way of doing things for me because i've mostly been on the supply side but it's a good experience and i'm enjoying it so far yeah, no, I've uh, sat through some things that you all put on, uh, do that LinkedIn uh, coffee talk. There's good things that you, you all do that. Um, 
very uh, very quick and kind of a preview of uh, some of the uh, longer stuff that you do. The um, like the uh, I was sitting through. I was trying to remember the last one I was sitting through. But what I appreciate with with you and John, and I shared this with John too, is uh, your y'all kind of go back and forth. Uh, he's more of a I'd say the chemist, and you're the uh, kind of the like you said supplier contractor side of things and trying to uh, balance balance it out. So I think that's what you, you two do very well when you put on your 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 talks or shows or your uh, podcast or whatever y'all are working on. Um, so yeah, uh, highly hi- highly recommend you you all uh, check them out. But uh, so. I brought Matt on because one, John told me I had to, uh, two, uh, <laughs> uh, two, uh, Matt and I connected actually before I connected with John, um, because I think we both share, uh, a, 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 maybe a love or a like, however you want to put it for the Buckeyes. He, and he always has the Ohio state flag on the, uh, on his, uh, background. So, um, I always joke with folks that anyone in concrete has some kind of route to Ohio. Um, that's where I started my career. And uh, it seems like if you didn't start your career in Ohio, uh, you, you have some connection there um, um, via concrete right. somehow, some way. But uh, anyways, uh, Matt, you know, wanted to bring you on because um, – like I mentioned, you you were you spent a lot of your career on the supplier side, and uh, I've been on the uh, the contractor side for most of my career. So I always like bringing you all on uh, your suppliers to bring your perspective on things. And um, today, I think what we're going to talk about is h- how we uh, contractors may not uh, prepare uh, very well. Um, but I'll let you, uh, put it in your, in your way, in your words, how you like to say it, the seven P's. The seven P's. Yeah. And it's, you know, there's no one group that is the, is the problem, uh, based on what I'm about to, uh, unpack here. Everybody's got an equal hand in, uh, their experience uh, associated with working on a construction project and building something, right? So every, you know, there's some folks that are going to take, uh, they're going to own whatever happens. There's some folks that are going to be like a victim to whatever happens. They're powerless. And then there's some folks that, you know, are somewhere in between, but really, you, you know, you talked about it earlier. The best possible sol- situation is to have a group of people that are interested in accomplishing uh, whatever's in front of them, they're, they're going to succeed and not go on a witch hunt. However, um, you know, there, there's, that's probably more the exception than the rule, it seems, at least with my experience. And, uh, and I'm just really, as a key, so the last 10 years of my career before I came to Intelligent Concrete, I was a QC manager for a ready mix business in Denver, Colorado. We did over 2 million cubic yards of concrete a year. And I was in charge of the QC for that. And up out of that 10 years working in that role, I promise you every bit of six to seven years of it was directly associated with dealing with failed 
test results or low concrete breaks on a on a job site. And I don't think it was uh, just specific to the Rocky Mountain region. I think this is probably a nationwide, global type of a struggle that that people go through, right? For many reasons. So that's why I put together this little outline I sent you about. And uh, it started with the seven Ps, and that is proper planning prevents piss poor performance, right? And in case you can't, <laughs> right. there's two Ps in proper. So that's where the seventh P comes from. But um, <laughs> it, it, I, I just was really surprised at how many projects actually kicked off and got started and there was no pre-con or there's no pre-construction meeting or the ready-mix supplier wasn't invited or you were invited at the last minute and couldn't go or couldn't, couldn't get anybody there. But, you know, starting the job off in an organized fashion where you can hear everybody's concerns and get them out on the table and, you know, agree as a group on how certain things are going to be done. Or, uh, you know, there's a lot of folks that are willing to accept the specifications, however they come out. I will challenge anything in the spec that that I didn't like, even if it didn't have a solid rooted basis in ASTM or ACI, it just from a, uh, our agenda or our perspective, if it put us at a disadvantage, I'd certainly point it out and try to campaign to get something changed, right? So that's where you handle all this is before the job starts because once you get going, you go out there and start yelling and screaming about something you don't like, trying to get it changed is going to be an uphill battle. <clears throat> you know, you got to try to get ahead of that. But, um, you know, along with the, with the pre-con comes... Uh, knowing what you're going to talk about. So if you're a ready mix supplier is having your agenda and there's some tools available on the internet, their pre-construction checklists provided by the Colorado ready mix concrete association. The NRMCA has it up on their website now. Um, but it just gives you a guide to everything from a concrete producer's perspective. You still there? If everything that's, that's important to a concrete producer, it'll tell you where you can find it in ACI and what basically like the cliff notes of what the, what is required from each group is included on this checklist. And if you go through that whole thing, it'll take a while, but um, yeah, I'm still here. It'll be covered. Okay. Um, so, you know, is going in there with an agenda, but, you know, making sure that, that you understand, you know, not just this, these points on the, on the pre-con checklist, but why, why is this important? Uh, because, you know, there are a lot of things that go wrong on, or aren't done according to the requirements on a job and people don't even realize it because they are, that's just the way it's always been done. Uh, they've not really read through the testing ASTMs, for instance, and then went out there with this ASTM in one hand and watched the tester do his his testing or where he sampled from or how he did it and how, how much time it took and said, did he do it according to this standard? And I, I promise you probably 95% of the time they don't, and it may or may not be their, their fault. But the, the, the bottom line is, is that, if you want a fair opportunity 
as a supplier to uh, to get paid full price for the concrete you're delivering to the job, you need to make sure that things are being done in order to, to leave you on an equal playing field with everyone else. Uh, so that so the biggest issues are, right. from my standpoint, sampling, well, no pre-con or not being there or being prepared or having an agenda. Then there are sampling, concrete sampling issues that are absolutely a killer, right? Uh, and then there are the actual testing issues. Are you still there? Well, I lost you on my screen here. Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. Probably taking a leak or something. That's why you shut your camera off. That's cool, man. I do it all the time. It's all right. Um, no, I. Uh, <laughs> we were uh, breaking up a little bit there. Yeah, I could change. Yeah, I could. If it keeps doing that, I'll turn my video off. Um, but okay, so no precon. Then there's sampling issues. Then there are. Uh, the testing and the timing of the testing issues. And then there are low concrete breaks because of curing of cylinders or test specimen issues, right? Uh, those are the main things that are going to probably, uh, out, out of that six and a half to seven years, I mentioned spending dealing with, with issues. 90% uh, of it had to do with sampling, testing, or curing and how it was done. So if I were going to start with the sampling, I'll give you an example. Um, we, we bring in out a load of concrete. We've got 10 cubic yards. In that 10 cubic yards, there's 270 cubic feet. Your sample size more than likely is going to be less than one cubic foot. If you've got a sample that's a cubic foot or greater, that's a good size sample, right? Um, There's not a lot of concrete. And not only is it not a lot of concrete compared to the 10 cubic yards that you just took it off of that load, but then it represents a lot of times 50 cubic yards or 100 cubic yards worth of concrete that was placed. And we've got this one cubic foot sample or smaller that we're going to make a bunch of decisions based on those results, whether it's slump, air, unit weight, temp, or strength. That's not a lot of concrete compared to what it represents. So it's important that it's done in a manner that is the most representative of that 10 cubic yard load. We like to say, don't test right off. The first thing that comes down the chute, it's in ASTM. You're supposed to be in the middle third of the load approximately, right? Um, but then we have the no, no one does that, right? The telebelt or the belt. And then we have the engineer that says, hey, I don't care what anything says anywhere. I want to know the properties of the concrete as it's getting deposited into the forms. And therefore, I want you to test at the end of the pump. Okay, well, if you want to know exactly what the properties of the concrete are going into the forms or into the hole of the caisson, then you need to have a bucket 
at the bottom of the caisson, taking it out of the tremie pipe. Because if you pick that whole thing up out of there and move it, it is no longer going to be the same properties as it will be coming out of the pump, right? Or you, you're up there, up there pouring on the 10th floor. We're down here on the ground. We're going to send somebody up there to grab a sample. The tower crane's going to lower the sample down to where the testing area is. Then the, the testing lab will take the sample and they'll do their tests. And by the time they get the sample taken and get it down there to be tested, you're already 10 minutes from the time it was sampled. And, and they're way over their time. And then the properties are no longer anything like they were when it came out of the pump. Does that make sense? Um, so, you know, yeah, no, ACI changed the building code. ACI 318 changed in 2019 to say that you should for acceptance, right? For acceptance testing should be, the sample should be taken according to C172 and specifically says at the point of delivery, which is as far as I'm concerned off the truck chute. And as a supplier, you have no control over anything that happens after that. So if we're going to be fair here, it should be tested there. Now, if you want to test it somewhere else for some other reason, knock yourself out. But if it's going to come down to accepting this load of concrete and paying me, I'm going to live and die by you're taking the sample off that shoot. And if you don't, then there's always going to be a big asterisk right by those results because we're not following the guidelines. So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, if I can. Yeah, go. If I can jump in. Yeah, jump in. Uh, I was, yeah, that makes total sense. I know uh, you you were hitting on having a, a pre-con meeting and going through an agenda um, prior to start of the, start of the project. Um, and I've been uh, lucky that I've worked for two companies. I currently work for one that uh, we do that on every job. So this seems like second nature to me. But that is one of the hot topics on in every pre-con job is where you take that sample from either the back of the oh, yeah. truck or at the end of the pump for us. Um, so I, I totally hear you on that. And I, I, I now that you're saying this out loud and I, I don't know why I haven't thought of this before, but uh, you know, you, you all only have control of what it is when it's coming out of the chute, like you said, coming straight out of the truck and you have nothing as far as, uh, control over, you know, how we're conveying the concrete uh, to the deck. So uh, I think uh, recently um, on recent projects, though, that uh, it seems like everyone's been <clears throat> pretty much on the same page as far as where we're taking tests, taking cylinders at. Um, and I, I don't see that uh, um, the requirement of taking it at the end of the pump or uh, at wherever the concrete's being placed, uh, being tested there as, as, uh, as a requirement as much as I used to, um, earlier in my career. Um, so totally, totally understand that. Totally get that. Um, yeah. but, uh, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, no, I felt no, like no, I needed fine, to jump man. in there and, 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 I, and I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I think I should, I should probably, you know, preface all this with, you know, this is all based on my experience. Now I've, I've worked in Houston, I've worked in Delaware, I've worked in Maryland, I've worked, 
you know, Colorado, Kansas, Louisiana, Texas. I said Houston, I think, but uh, Texas proper. Then there's um, probably a little bit of Wyoming. And so I've got, you know, a little bit of, uh, I I guess, diversity in my my experience with this. But it's it's rooted in, in, in my area here in Colorado where a lot of this is being based. So. I'm sure there's areas where people have done it a lot better job keeping up with the times or being equitable to all the people involved. And, and I shut my, my video off because I, I think I'm having some service issues here that are jamming me up. So just to let you know, but, um, uh, yeah, no worries. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. It's not, uh, it's not a Colorado only thing. I've, I've uh, been in the Mid-Atlantic most of my career and a little bit in Ohio and no, we all have the same issues. And I'm just, I'm even, even when you have those pre-con meetings before the projects, I, you still, you still have these issues. It's like people forget what we all talked about in the meeting. Um, and then you, you're go, you have to go back and reference the, the uh, meeting and hopefully someone took really good notes and someone t- uh, sent out meeting minutes and everyone agreed to the meeting minutes. I've still been on jobs where we we talked about it and we're still disagreeing. Oh man, about what we agreed to. It's like, yeah, you, you, when you get in that meeting, if you're the one representing in the meeting, right? Get in there and take a look around, take a good look, try to take a, a visual picture of everybody's faces around that table, because that's probably the last time you're ever going to see them again. Because when it comes to delivering concrete, <laughs> there none of them are out there. Maybe maybe a couple are, but it seems like you know, we would agree on the sampling or something, some specific nuance of that whole process. And then we're go- we're at the first pour. And I mean, they don't even know what you're talking about. Like, wait a minute, I thought we were going to do this or do that. And they're like, uh, no, I was just told to show up and test concrete, you know? So there's that, you know, communication of from the people at the meeting to the people that are actually going to execute the work that is important but again like you said take some good notes don't count on anybody being a stenographer so we were talking about uh um taking good notes at the pre-com meeting i think one thing we we should hit on matt is the folks that should be at this meeting uh because i know i I know i've struggled in the past to get everybody that should be there (laughs) so who on your your in 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 the ideal perfect world of of this pre-con meeting pre-port we call pre-port meeting who who do you uh who do you want there who do i want i want uh so as a qc manager for a ready mix supplier i want my guy or my technician that's going to be testing i want them there and then uh, from all the other groups I want the tester who's assigned to the project, if there's just one, or if there's numerous, it's going to be by committee, bring them all along with their boss. I want an owner's rep there. I want the engineer of record. I don't want his assistant that says, I'll have to go back and check out, the, check that with the boss, you know, kind of a deal. I want decision makers there, people who can agree to to make a change or an adjustment to something, get them there. And then we can hopefully all go through this one time. Um, then, of course, you know, you've got your whoever subcontracted to us as the supplier. Usually, in, in your case, it was Baker would would uh, 
invite us. We're, we're working for them. And then Baker is working for a general contractor. They're going to probably be the ones that are putting the meeting on. But if they aren't there and the t testers or the tester that's going to be on the job, any of them aren't there or the owner's rep isn't there, then there's probably uh, you're, you're missing somebody important because I think that um, if that all everybody needs to understand what's really going on. And I know a lot of times we would uh, they would not want to have the owners up there and see possibly some of the arguing or, or disagreements or or types of things we were talking about or concerned with because they just didn't want to. Uh, you know, create any concern or they didn't want to uh, get somebody upset or, or what have you. But the worst thing for, for a supplier, a worst thing that could happen is, is that somebody, the owner's rep's not involved. They don't know anything about your perspective. And all they know is we keep getting low breaks. We keep getting failed air tests. That stupid supplier doesn't know what they're doing. They're causing all the problems. So I, I always wanted somebody, somebody's ear from the ownership side, just so that they could at least see that you know we we have a point to make. Yeah, and they can hear. You know, I I, I I'm sorry. I I uh, I think I derailed you when you were going through the sampling, um, but I thought it was important for for. Uh, you know, us to take a moment and make sure that everyone understands how important this meeting is and how, uh, you know, all the folks, all the w stakeholders of this project should be at this meeting. And so at least even if they're, you know, don't understand everything that uh, we're talking about, at least they're hearing it and then they're getting a, uh, you know, a good meeting would have, you know, uh uh, physical pieces of paper for a meeting agenda sure. and they have it in front of them that they can reference ahead, uh, and go back to. So when these things do come up in the job, they can go back and look at it and say, Oh yeah, we did talk about this. Um, but, uh, it, if you could jump back in, uh, we were talking about sampling and why that's important, but, uh, I, I think I stopped you right before you were going to get into, uh, um, curing the cylinders, doing standard cure cylinders. Could you, jump in there and sure. keep us going yeah absolutely so let's just say we've got our sample and uh we're 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 coming back to uh, the station or wherever they're going to test the concrete and then make their their specimens whether they're four by eight six by twelves flex beams uh, if it's a grout they might be making cubes if it's shotcrete they might be making a test panel you know a little one by one or something along those lines. Um, but they're going to make some sort of specimen that will be tested that will determine uh, the hardened properties of your concrete. And, you know, it, this is where things get really obscure for a lot of people or fuzzy because if, if you didn't work with concrete every day, if you didn't work with it at least frequently and understand it at a basic level, and then I gave you ASTM C31 and had you read it. You'd read all those requirements for the cylinders and the curing and think, really? You know, I mean, I, even if you didn't question it, 
you wouldn't necessarily understand how impactful all those components are. I've got a, uh, a sheet I use that's an older one uh, that talks about non-standard carrying conditions and how it impacts the strength of the concrete specimen. And I can, I don't know if that's on the end of that outline I sent you or if I didn't paste it on there yet. Uh, let me. You did. I did? Okay. Yep. All right, so we got, just looking on the very right, there's L and there's F for lab and field. We want to look at the field stuff. So insufficient consolidation up to 61% strength loss. Immediate freezing, oh. 24 hours, up to 56%. Um, next field, flat particle vertical orientation up to 40%. Rough end before capping or seven days in field, warm temperature, 27, 26%. So a quarter of your strength. Um, seven days in field at 73 degrees Fahrenheit, no added moisture, up to 18% loss. But th this is an older study, right? And there's been a lot of newer ones that can be found on the internet. And you've been involved in construction. You know that when things go wrong, when you have a failure, it's rarely ever the result of just one thing going wrong, right? Usually there's two or three or four things that weren't done right, and then boom, that's when you have something that's substantial enough that gets everybody's attention. Right? So you're gonna have three, four, five of these things working against you on every single cylinder that they're going to make. To some extent, maybe it's just barely, or maybe it's, Exactly as I just, you know, read from this list, you know, you you could lose, you know, half your strength or potential strength uh, very easily just because things weren't handled correctly. Like, uh, I'll give you an example. They've got the sample. They make the cylinders. And this is a big pour today. Let's just say they're going to test four times. It's a 400-yard pour, and they're going to, they're going to make a set of cylinders every 100 yards, right? And we're going to make six cylinders. Every, so now four times, we've got 24 test cylinders. Um, so they set up in an area near where they're pouring to get the concrete sample and test it. And then where they're going to cure the cylinders is on the other side of the job, back by the trailer, right? So instead of, there's just one tester out there because they didn't have enough people to send them some help. So every time he tests and makes a set of cylinders, he just leaves them sitting there. And then once the pour is over and he's not pressed for time anymore, he's going to pick them all up and move them over to where they're going to cure them for the next day or two before they go back to their lab. Well, and then this happens all the time, right? That first set of cylinders he makes sits out there in the sun for the next three hours, four hours, until we get done to the point where he can now take all these cylinders he made over. Well, by the time he moves them, they're already in the process of setting up. They're hard, are hardened to the point where when he picks them up and moves them to his uh, basket or to a wheelbarrow or to a bucket, he does damage because he squishes the mold 
and it, the concrete inside is now deformed and has probably a billion little micro fractures within it because it was damn near set up, but not strong enough to resist his grip of picking it up and moving it. And it, that's going to damage that probably first three sets of cylinders that he made to some extent. Right? Maybe it's just a, a, a minute amount of damage but maybe it's substantial and you'll never know. But the bottom line is, had he followed the requirements or the guidelines in ASTM, he would have made those cylinders right next to where he was gonna cure them. And then he would have put them in there immediately after finishing and then not touched them again. Mm-hmm. So that's just one example. Um, that happens well, on every job. Every job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another one, and you'll hear a lot about the temperature, right? And and suppliers, we always are bitching about the temperature that the cylinders are cured in because it makes a big friggin' difference, man. If it's hot in there or if it's cold, it will really, I mean, substantially impact your per- performance because they're just little test cylinders. You can change the temperature of the concrete inside those test cylinders easy. Um and if, if you've left them in a, a cold area and then move them the next day, pick them up, throw them in the bed of the truck, take them back to the lab, well, if it's anywhere in the continental United States, it's going to get the living hell beat out of it because the roads are all jacked up, right? Somewhere, either getting off the site, going over the bridge, going, you know, you're hitting potholes, you're slamming on your brakes, you're... You know, whatever you're doing, I mean, it's not exactly a smooth ride in the bed of the truck. Well, that's where your cylinders are. And since they were in a cooler all night and it froze, uh, they, they really didn't gain much strength. Then they get the shit beat out of them on the way to their lab, and you've got damage. To what extent? I don't know, but I promise you, they're damaged. Um, if it's hot, the, the worst problem with heat is loss of moisture. Um, so we would, we, I don't know how many water tanks we bought and took out to a job site so that they could use it. Uh, no one else was going to bring one. They were just going to cure everything in cylinders, or sorry, coolers. It's like, hey man, just to let you know, those coolers were designed to keep things cold, all right? You know, people put shit in them and then put ice in them and then they do a half decent job but the ice always melts those things go to whatever the ambient temperature is so if it's cold out the only thing you're doing is putting six cylinders inside that cooler and keeping them cold all day all night or or the opposite in the summer they're going to be hot and they they need to be underwater and uh, then one they'll change temperature much more slowly it'll be a much more gradual change in temperature and on top of that they won't dry out because the drying out part it is it's a bit i mean especially with high early concrete if those things dry out they can't make any more strength and if that's that's going to start right by where the lid's at on the top and that just happens to be that one of the surfaces that's in in contact with the brake machine that's going to break it and mm-hmm. if there's no moisture there, it can't get any harder because yeah. can't happen without moisture. So, you know, that these are all just little things that that add up to 
you know, the result you get. And as a supplier, you don't want any of those things to, to one, to happen. But if they do, was that your fault? No. Uh, the only thing you may be guilty of is perhaps either not pointing out the concern over the curing or, or not being there to document what actually happened so you can cover your ass. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It just seems. Um, I hate to say it, but the uh, the folks that take the cylinders are usually the lowest paid people on the job, and that's right. the big responsibility that they have. I've I uh, um, I have photos on my on my phone. I used to when I walked job sites take pictures of. <laughs> abandoned cylinders around the job sites and uh just to document what's going on with with cylinders like you said they take 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 the samples and then they leave them and then they're like yeah we'll get we'll get them when it's convenient and uh no one really thinks it's a it's a big deal it's just secondhand thought but uh but uh if you could talk about what these astm uh uh, sections are that you reference in this document because I know I'm guilty of this. I'll uh, in a uh, pre pre poor meeting in our agenda, it'll say, "Hey, do you follow these ASTM? You know, C31 or whatever it is." And uh, I'm just looking for a nod or a yes, and I, right. I probably don't understand what they are. So if you could explain those, sure. So uh, the the main one. You know, aside from sampling, sampling C-172, but for making, curing, handling the cylinders or strength specimens, it's C-31, ASTM C-31. And the key in C-31, there's two keys, really. In the very beginning, there's a, uh, a short section, I think it's section four, that tells you what the data can be used for depending on whether or not you standard cure your cylinders or you field cure them. So let's talk about those two things. Standard cure is what's supposed to be done when those when the cylinder results are going to be used for acceptance of the concrete from the ready mix supplier, right? Field cured can't be used for that. And the reason why is, well, I'm, I'll explain so the standard curing, uh, we talked briefly about how a lot of the things that happen when the concrete leaves the chute are out of the control of the supplier, right? Do you agree with that? Yes. Okay. So from a supplier standpoint, I want to be able to prove that when I showed up, that concrete in the condition it was in when it came off my truck, was capable of meeting the project specifications. It had the potential to meet the minimum requirements, 4,000 PSI or whatever the air content was as I delivered it. Now, if it gets subjected to a whole bunch of stuff after I deliver it, I have no control over that. If you tell me what's gonna happen to it, I can try to give you a mix that's gonna work, but I can't work magic. Right? And I can't read mine. So I want to prove that when it showed up, it was capable of meeting project requirements. And that's what standard curing does. It gives the ready mix supplier a unbiased best opportunity to prove my concrete was adequate when it showed up. 
Then, after that, you make field cured cylinders to determine if the conveying or the actual in-place curing had positive or negative impact on the concrete compared to the standard cured cylinders, which are a representation of what it was able to produce or uh, yield as it showed up, uninfluenced by anyone. So if they screw up any element of the standard cured requirements, we're not standard curing anymore. Uh, if you're not taking care of the moisture, if you're not taking care of the temperature, if you're not making sure it's level, if, if it's got vibration, if you know all these different things that negatively impact the test result, uh, we got to try to eliminate all that because we want to prove that the concrete was good when it showed up. And you can use that data then for a whole bunch of other stuff because I mentioned you could make field cell cured cylinders to compare to those and see is our curing adequate? Do we need to do a better job of curing? Do we need to do a better job of protecting uh, the concrete from drying out or getting hot or getting cold or what have you, right? You can't do any of that if you don't have a baseline like control set of, of results for whatever the concrete was when it showed up. So that's where the big difference comes and why it's so important for a ready mix supplier to defend that to damn near the death because if they're not giving you that opportunity, if you're not actually uh, get your specimens aren't getting standard cured correctly on that job, then you are absolutely fighting a losing battle right from the get-go. Matt, you got a note here about adherence program. What is that? Yeah. You audit the testing by filling out a questionnaire. Your results go back to, uh, they get entered in a database and they will not be shared with anyone other than the person who, the company whose employee conducted the audit and the company whose employee was audited. It doesn't become public uh, knowledge that Terracon or CTL Thompson or, or Kumar and Associates uh, got rated at this level for this particular test, right? Uh -huh. And the strength and the, the power of this is after you've been you've done enough audits that you really have a good sample size to see what's going on with the testing on these different jobs or with these different companies or or in these different regions. And so what we found in Colorado was that ASTM C thirty one for making and curing initial curing cylinders was conformed to about 30% of the time. <laughs> Not shocking. Yeah. And, you know, that was, you know, it was good to see that, okay, now we've got, it's not just us, but it's some other people are reporting similar types of things. But, you know, what was interesting is that old adage of the way we've always done it. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people would do the audit like, yeah, okay, well, that didn't follow C31 to a T, but he sure did try to follow C31. He just wasn't able to do it. So I'm going to mark it down as a yes, he conformed, and that's not the way it's supposed to be done.
you either conform yeah. or you don't. And when you yeah. when you approach it that way, it's it's not conformed to very often. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh huh. So it can anybody is that still going? Yeah. Anyone can use that? So huh. I have to check that out. Yeah, check it out. Uh the NRMCA adopted it. It went alive, I guess you could say, in April of this year. And so far, oh. I think uh, one Canadian province and then Maryland, Missouri, Colorado, and a couple other states are now doing this. Uh, but I really don't know where, where, you know, where they're at with it. Huh. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we did about... 2,000 audits a year for seven years. So we got about 14,000 individual pieces of information that came from our company that said that, you know, the state of affairs when it came to testing and curing of test specimens was not very good. Yeah, that's a failing grade. (laughs) That's a failing grade for sure. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's a good place for us to end today, Matt. Uh, if folks want to reach out to you um, and learn more about uh, Intelligent Concrete and how you guys can help, uh, what's the best way? Uh, so you can find us on social media, uh, primarily LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Those are all avenues to contact us as well as the World Wide Web. Just get on the Google machine and type in Intelligent Concrete or Matt McCombs or uh, John Belkowitz. We're one of a kind. You're not going to find too many of us out there. You'll, you'll be able to find us that way. That is for sure. They're, you guys are two unique guys, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, we got through it. All right, man. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us for another Concrete Logic Podcast episode. If you got some value out of this or you enjoyed it, please share it with others. And if you could take a moment and give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast listening app, I would appreciate it. We will uh, catch you on the next episode. And now Mike Dutton's going to take us out. Put some diesel in the lights and wait till the trucks roll up Yeah, this ain't how most folks live their lives Dripping in sweat, working overtime But while their time, their ties for their nine to fives We're out here changing these skylines with Working hard to get that job done